Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 96 of the Bible Reading Podcast. Today's big Bible question, how do we devote ourselves to prayer? We're going to be hearing from George Mueller on praying in the midst of trials. So happy Friday, friends. Uh, I guess for many of us out there, the days are just kind of running into each other right now, aren't they? I had uh, three different Zoom meetings today and heard from two different pastors who said the same exact thing. It's just like the days are melting into each other. Uh, Monday, Friday, Wednesday, Thursday, they don't hold as much meaning as they used to. It's pretty crazy. Things are kind of surreal right now, aren't they? It's almost kind of like a dream. Hey, the world is shaking, but as you know, God is our refuge in times of trouble. Now, Isaiah was written to the Israelites, but followers of Christ are also inheritors of the promises of God to Israel because, as Paul says, we've been grafted into the same vine that they are in, according to the Bible. And that means that you and I can rest in the promises of God in Isaiah 43, 1 through 3, which says, This is what the Lord says, the one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. I will be with you when you pass through the waters, and when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire, and the flame will not burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, and your Savior. So that's a good promise. We should rest in that. Today's Bible readings include Leviticus chapter 6, Psalms 5 and 6, Proverbs 21, and Colossians 4. And our focus passage today is back in Colossians, specifically verse 2. So let's go read the whole passage, pay attention when we get to verse 2, and then we're going to come back and talk about it and hear some great counsel from one of my heroes, George Mueller. Colossians 4 verse 1, Masters, deal with your bondservants justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Tychicus, our dearly beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and so that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark. Barnabas' cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so does Jesus, who is called Justice. These alone of the circumcised are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers, so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea and for those in Hierapolis." 
Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas send you greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her home. After this letter has been read at your gathering, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read read the letter from Laodicea. And tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So let me admit something to you. Once, twice, or three times a day, this coronavirus thing shakes me up. Maybe it's when I'm reading the stats and looking at the graph of the rising cases in America. Earlier in this process, it was when I was watching the graphs in rising cases in Italy And I was wondering if it would hit the U.S. that hard. Well, spoiler alert, it appears to be doing just that. Uh, Sometimes I get concerned for my children um, that they're going to get it or they're going to break quarantine or whatever. And then I worry about my wife, our church family, uh, all the precious saints in our church, Valley Baptist Church in Salinas. Worry about my mom and my dad and my sister and brother and other family in Alabama and my church family back home there at Agape. These are troubled times, to be sure. And I'll just be honest, it gets to me at least once every day. It kind of reminds me of 2008-2009. That was an interesting period in my life. I should have been on top of the world. I'd been in ministry for many years at that point, but I was just beginning a role as the full-time senior pastor of a church in my hometown, and I was as excited as I could be And I came into that position really boldly until that is, a few months in, a crippling attack of anxiety and fear and all sorts of other friends of anxiety and fear, just like a big gang, that came and hit me out of nowhere. So one of the things about COVID-19 is that it's novel, and that means new. And our bodies don't have any sort of built-up defense against it because it's new and novel. So I was in a similar place in 2008-2009. Anxiety and fear were novel to me. They were new in large part. It was something I'd never significantly struggled with in the past, except uh, my irrational fears of sharks, ghosts, and spiders, which is kind of the unholy trio of things that have scared me throughout my life. Other than those things, though, I was completely and utterly unprepared to deal with fear and anxiety because I'd never really dealt with it before. Even though I was in my 30s, it just wasn't an issue in my life. And so when it all of a sudden did, it was like a Category 5 hurricane hitting an old mobile home. I crumpled, and I crumpled for a long time. It was a mess. Uh, I was a mess. And the only thing that helped, I mean, literally the only thing that helped, uh, I never went to a doctor or anything like that. Although, I guess I take that back. I did go to the doctor because I had a weird pain in my stomach and I thought I was dying of something or another. And I don't even remember what it was. But uh, at least at that time, I wasn't dying of something or another. But I didn't go to the doctor and say, hey, I'm just dying of anxiety. Maybe I should. But, you know, guys don't do that as maybe as much as they should or shouldn't. I don't know. But the only thing that helped me was not medicine, not a doctor. It was the word of God in prayer. And I mean that really literally. I had believed prior to this that prayer was important before, but I never had to rely on God like a lifeline and just take hold of him and not let go until that storm of anxiety hit. 
So I saturated myself in the Word and prayer, and almost every night I fell asleep reading the Word, and in due time, gradually, God pulled me out of that miry clay, so to speak. Uh, I don't know how long it took, but it, it, it did happen as I turned to Him and turned to His Word and turned to prayer. Now, at this point, I'm not at all near where I was in 2008. But just to, to be honest with you, my anxiety level has increased. I bet your has, yours has too. Most people's anxiety level is increasing right now. And that hurricane of anxiety in 2008 taught me to turn to God in his word and prayer at the first sign of rain. And God has graciously led me back to that place again in this pandemic season. So my habit has become this. Each night, When the podcast is done and recorded and posted, even if it's, you know, really late, I just go out into our neighborhood and uh, the surrounding area and I walk and pray and God meets me there. And that time with him at night or even in the early morning has become an anchor in a storm that is honestly getting fiercer every day. So many of you are scared. Some of you are more scared than I am. Some of you are less scared than I am. And Some of you are about the same amount of scared as I am. Well, allow me to exhort you, uh, no matter where you are on that scale of fear and anxiety about this right now, whether you think this this thing is a big deal or not, take heed of the command in God's word in Colossians 4.2, devote yourself to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. I want to read it again because it's really, really important and really, really short. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. So what does devote mean? Well, the Greek word there is made up of two Greek words kind of smashed together like a portmanteau. One means towards or to, and the other word means endure. In other words, the word of God is calling us to endure towards or into prayer. So this is a season that I believe that the Holy Spirit is waking up the body of Christ to enduring towards prayer. Have you heard the call of the Spirit right now to increase times and devotion to prayer? This, His command, is pointing us that way right now in this season. we got to hear that call, and we've got to heed that call. You know, it's also a Romans 12.12 hour. Romans 12.12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. And obviously, to be clear, it's always a Romans 12, 12 and a Colossians 4, 2 season. But this is an hour in season where it is acutely important, massively important, that the people of Jesus be devoted in prayer, rejoicing in hope, patient in affliction, and persistently praying. This podcast is listened to in several different countries right now, and all of them are absolutely up against the ropes. And the church of Jesus in every corner of the world should right now be recognizing what's going on and hearing the call of the word and the Holy Spirit and being devoted to prayer. And to sort of help encourage us all in that direction, I'd like to turn to one of my heroes of the faith, George Mueller of Bristol. He was a mighty man of God, a mighty man of prayer and faith, a pastor, founder of orphanages, a missionary. He never asked for money or provision from other people But he only prayed to God about such matters, and he kept a running tally of the thousands, literally thousands of times, that God answered his prayers. And this is a guy who built orphanages. I think he built the first orphanages in England during uh, Charles Dickinsonian times, 
right around that time, he built the first orphanages in England, ending up taking care of 10,000-plus children in those orphanages, never asked people for money, never had like a financial letter sent out to say, hey, please support the orphans, never did any of that. When he preached, he didn't ask for money. He only asked God, and God abundantly provided every time. So he was a mighty man of prayer and faith. And so here is Mr. Mueller teaching us how to pray in the midst of trials and afflictions. Matthew 7, 7 through 11 says, Ask and it shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will give him a serpent. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give good things to them that ask them? If we believe, says Mueller, that it will be even as the Lord Jesus said, with what earnestness, perseverance, expecting faith, shall we give ourselves to prayer? Though the answer be long delayed, though as to sight, the answer to our prayers can never be received, yet, since we believe, walk by faith, we shall continue to expect an answer to our prayers. As assuredly as our petitions are, according to the mind of God, are asked in the name of the Lord Jesus, and we exercise faith in the power and willingness of God to help us. Again, says Mueller, the testimony of God the Holy Spirit in Romans 8.28 is, we know that all things work together for good, to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Now, if we lay hold on it by faith, bring it in faith, our greatest trials, difficulties, afflictions, bereavements, etc., our hearts will be comforted. We shall obtain peace to our souls. I've been a believer in the Lord Jesus for 44 years, but I have invariably found that my greatest trials have proved my greatest blessings. They have worked for my good. But suppose we did not see this to be so. While yet in the body, we have nevertheless to exercise faith concerning what God says. We have to walk by faith regarding that word of his that all things work together for good to them that love God. And then will the heart be comforted and sustained. Three years ago, says Mueller, God allowed two most heavy trials to befall me. They continued month after month, and I said to myself, This too works for my good. And I continued day by day while the afflictions lasted to make known my requests unto God that he would graciously be pleased to sustain me under them and in his own time deliver me out of them. There was hanging in my bedroom in a frame a text, Open your mouth wide and I will fill it, Psalm 81.10, upon which my eyes fell as I rose in the morning and my heart said to my heavenly Father, I do open my mouth wide. Will you graciously be pleased to do according to your word, and will you fill it? I continued patiently, believingly, expectantly to look to God for help, and he did deliver me out of those two most heavy afflictions, and I have thus further become acquainted with him. All this I say for the comfort and encouragement of my younger brethren and sisters in Christ. Will you then, the next time that you were in a trial, and Brother Mueller, we're in one right now, will you then, the next time that you are in a trial, seek to remember this for your comfort? You may not be able to see how such and such a heavy trial can work for your good, but it will most assuredly, as God has said, 
And if even in this life you should not see it, you will do so in the world to come. But generally, we see it already in this life. The reason why the children of God are so frequently overpowered by difficulties and trials, says Mueller, is because they attempt to carry their burden themselves instead of casting it upon God, as he not only graciously allows them to do, but commands them to do, and therefore they lose the promise which is coupled with the command. They find themselves not sustained. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain thee. Psalms 55.22 This does not mean simply that we should pray to God in our trials and afflictions, but that we should exercise faith in the power and willingness of God to help us under our trials. And by this we know whether we have only used words in prayer or whether we have in believing prayer, exercising faith in God, spoken to him about our trials. If the latter was the case, then though the trial still lasts, the burden is gone because we have laid it upon God to bear it for us. But if we have not exercised faith in God, we are still carrying the burden ourselves. All of these matters are so deeply important because if we do not walk by faith, we cannot be happy in God and therefore cannot bear such a testimony for God as we should bear were we indeed happy. Our very countenance, the expression of our face, should testify of our peace and joy in God in order that the unconverted may be stirred up to seek for themselves after that which makes the children of God so happy. Amen. Brothers and sisters, may we be found, even in the midst of this terrible crisis, may we be found happy in the Lord, and may we be casting our cares and burdens on Him and trusting Him to sustain us. Let's go back to the Bible. Leviticus chapter 6, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, when someone sins and offends the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in regard to a deposit, a security, or a robbery, or defrauds his neighbor, or finds something lost and lies about it, or swears falsely about any of the sinful things a person may do. Once he has sinned and acknowledged his guilt, he must return what he stole or defrauded, or the deposit entrusted to him, or the lost item he found, or anything else about which he swore falsely. He will make full restitution for it and add a fifth of its value to it. He is to pay it to its owner on the day he acknowledges his guilt. Then he is to bring his guilt offering to the Lord an unblemished ram from the flock according to your assessment of its value as a gift, guilt offering to the priest. In this way, the priest shall, will make atonement on his behalf before the Lord, and he will be forgiven for anything he may have done to incur guilt. The Lord spoke to Moses, Command Aaron and his sons, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering itself must remain on the altar's hearth all night until morning, when the fire of the altar is kept burning on it. The priest is to put on his linen robe and linen undergarments. He is to remove the ashes of the burnt offering the fire has consumed on the altar and place them beside the altar. Then he will take off his garments, put on other clothes, and bring the ashes outside the camp to a ceremonially clean place. The fire on the altar is to be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest will burn wood on the fire. He is to arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat portions from the fellowship offerings on it. Fire must be kept burning on the altar continually. It must not go out. Now this is the law of the grain offering. Aaron's sons will present it before the Lord in front of the altar. The priest is to remove a handful of fine flour and olive oil from the grain offering, 
with all the frankincense that is on the offering, and burn its memorial portion on the altar as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Aaron and his sons may eat the rest of it. It is to be eaten in the form of unleavened bread in a holy place. They are to eat it in the courtyard of the tent of meeting. It must not be baked with yeast. I have assigned it as their portion from my fire offerings. It is especially holy like the sin offering and the guilt offering. Any male among Aaron's descendants may eat it. It is a permanent portion throughout your generations from the fire offerings to the Lord. Anything that touches the offerings will become holy. The Lord spoke to Moses, This is the offering that Aaron and his sons are to present to the Lord on the day that he is anointed. Two quarts of fine flour as a regular grain offering, half of it in the morning and half in the evening. It is to be prepared well with oil on a griddle. You are to bring it well kneaded. You are to present it as a grain offering of baked pieces, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The priest, who is one of Aaron's sons and will be anointed to take his place, is to prepare it. It must be completely burned as a permanent portion for the Lord. Every grain offering for a priest will be a whole burnt offering. It is not to be eaten. The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons this is the law of the sin offering. The sin offering is most holy and must be slaughtered before the Lord at the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered. The priest who offers it as a sin offering will eat it. It is to be eaten in a holy place in the courtyard of the tent of meeting. Anything that touches its flesh will become holy, and if any of its blood splatters on a garment, then you must wash that garment in a holy place. A clay pot in which the sin offering is boiled is to be broken. It is boiled. If it is boiled in a bronze vessel, it is to be scoured and rinsed with water. Any male among the priests may eat it. It is especially holy. But no sin offering may be eaten if its blood has been brought into the tent of meeting to make atonement in the holy place. It must be burned. Do you need to come out? Do you need to come out? Well, just knock when you do. Psalm chapter 5. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my sighing. Pay attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for I pray to you. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I plead my case to you and watch expectantly. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil cannot dwell with you. The boastful cannot stand in your sight. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who tell lies. The Lord abhors violent and treacherous people, but I enter your house by the abundance of your faithful love. I bow down towards your holy temple in reverential awe of you. Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my adversaries. Make your way straight before me, for there's nothing reliable in what they say. Destruction is within them. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongues. Punish them, God. Let them fall by their own schemes. Drive them out because of their many crimes, for they rebel against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them shout for joy forever. May you shelter them, and may those who love your name boast about you. For you, Lord, bless the righteous one. You surround him with favor like a shield. Psalms chapter 6. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Do not discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are shaking. My whole being is shaken with terror. And you, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, rescue me. Save me because of your faithful love. For there is no remembrance of you in death. Who can thank you in Sheol? I am weary from my groaning. With my tears I dampen my bed. 
and drench my couch every night. My eyes are swollen from grief. They grow old because of all my enemies. Depart from me, all evildoers, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea for help. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and shake with terror. They will turn back and suddenly be disgraced. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 1. A king's heart is like channeled water in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. All a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs hearts. Doing what is righteous and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. The lamp that guides the wicked, haughty eyes, and an arrogant heart is sin. The plans of the diligent certainly lead to profit, but anyone who is reckless certainly becomes poor. Making a fortune through a lying tongue is a vanishing mist, a pursuit of death. The violence of the wicked sweeps them away because they refuse to act justly. A guilty one's conduct is crooked, but the behavior of the innocent is upright. Better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a nagging wife. A wicked person desires evil. He has no consideration for his neighbor. When a mocker is punished, the inexperienced become wiser. When one teaches a wise man, he acquires knowledge. The righteous one considers the house of the wicked. He brings the wicked to ruin. The one who shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will himself also call out and not be answered. A secret gift soothes anger, and a covert bribe fierce rage. Justice executed is a joy to the righteous, but a terror to those who practice iniquity. The person who strays from the way of prudence will come to rest in the assembly of the departed spirits. The one who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will not get rich. The wicked are a ransom for the righteous and the treacherous for the upright. Better to live in a wilderness than with a nagging and hot-tempered wife. Precious treasure and oil are in the dwelling of a wise person, but a fool consumes them. The one who pursues righteousness and faithful love will find life, righteousness, and honor. A wise person went up against a city of warriors and brought down its secure fortress. The one who guards his mouth and tongue keeps himself out of trouble. The arrogant and proud person named Mocker acts with excessive arrogance. A slacker's craving will kill him because his hands refuse to work. He is filled with craving all day long, but the righteous give and don't hold back. The sacrifice of a wicked person is detestable, and how much more so when he brings it with ulterior motives. A lying witness will perish, but the one who listens will speak successfully. A wicked person puts on a bold face, but the upright one considers his way. No wisdom, no understanding, and no counsel will prevail against the Lord. A horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory comes from the Lord. And Lord, may you give your people victory in the midst of this current trauma, trial, and tribulation. Blessed be your name. May the Lord bless you and keep you, dear friends. Stay safe out there in the power of his might. Good day to you and Godspeed.